If you have your Bible or you just want to follow along in the bulletin, we're looking at the parable of the shrewd manager. We've been in a series on the parables. And uh, this one in, in Luke 16 follows on the heels of Luke 15. And Luke 15 is probably the most familiar parable of the prodigal son. Well, the word prodigal is the word wasteful. He was a wasteful son. And here we have another wasteful story. This is a wasteful manager, same Greek word. And so we're seeing now that as prodigals come home, how are they to live in the kingdom? And they're no longer to be wasteful, but they're to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to them. And uh, that's where Jesus is going in this parable. So let's give attention to God's word, Luke 16. I'm going to read verses 1 to 15. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do, since my master has taken the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is a heavy word. Let me pray for us. Lord, give us the ears to hear and open hearts to receive from your hand what you have for us. And pray that you would, Holy Spirit, weed out uh, the cancer of sin in our hearts and make us new. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you probably heard the expression before, show me your wallet and I'll show you your heart. And the reality is that Jesus seems to test the issue of our loyalty and love for him by our use of our greenbacks. And you've probably heard it said before that Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. So if you're new here this morning, we don't talk about money that often, but we're going to talk about money today and the next, actually next, this week and next week because several of the parables deal with this. And Jesus is saying here, you can't have two masters, mammon 
or money. And, and mammon is just all the wealth that you accumulate in this life that you can't take with you. That would be mammon. You can't have that be your master. And you can't have God be your master. As Bob Dylan used to say, you got to serve somebody. You got to pick one. And we do pick one every day. And you'll either despise the one or love the other. And the interesting thing is, I've never really met too many people, hardly anybody. I do remember one person. I'm trying to think, if I ever met anybody who, who thought they were greedy? And nobody, and nobody ever thinks that they're greedy. And I've never ever heard of anybody praying in one of their prayers of confession that, Lord, forgive me for my greed this past week. Or, you know, nobody, nobody thinks they're greedy. I do have one, I do remember a guy that, that he moved up north, had a huge house, and he seemingly had it all. And I can remember sitting down doing counseling with him and him telling me that it is so hard for me to pass up money. And he was just, the reason he was overworking and not spending time with his wife and not spending time with his children was he was honest with me that he had a, such a hard time passing up an opportunity to make more money. And his family suffered and they ultimately ended up divorcing. Very sad. Um, now, it, it is interesting. I mean, Jesus isn't the only one that talks about money. And every once in a while, I think sometimes we think Hollywood just produces stuff that we can't watch and, and it's all bad. Sometimes they're, they're ahead of us. And sometimes they hit on things that, are, that are, we should listen to. Recently, I was watching. What my point is, is that sometimes Hollywood gets it right before the church does. And I was watching a recent episode of NCIS. And one of the characters wanted his money back. He had given to a charity. And his reason was because he wanted a motorcycle. And so the other character, some of you guys have watched the show know the names of the people. I haven't been watching it much, but I thought this one was interesting. And so he said, why don't you meet me out at the playground where this donation was made? And when he got there, he realized that his money was going to help children have a playground for handicapped children that they wouldn't have otherwise. And, and basically the other guy, you know, do you still want your money back? And he said, no, the motorcycle can wait. And it was roll the credits, you know. It was an interesting scene of a guy, once he saw where his money was going, that it was better than serving self. Um, I love the story of Schindler's List. And if you know, the, the ending of that movie is so powerful. When Oscar Schindler is, here he has saved 1,200 people from uh, slaughter and he's divested much of his wealth but he's lamenting that he could have saved more and he just breaks down because he has a ring on his finger and he said you know he could have hocked that ring and saved another life and he was grieving over that and yet he had saved 1200 lives Christmas season we love it's a wonderful life it's really an antidote to greed isn't it I mean, don't be like Mr. Potter who created Potterville and the whole community comes together and lets go of their money and lets it flow to save George Bailey from falling prey to the greedy Mr. Potter who's just another version of Ebenezer Scrooge. And Hollywood doesn't always send a bad message, do they? That's a great movie, we love it. So let's get some perspective here from Jesus to kind of orient ourselves to our world and how it relates to Jesus's world. How many of you would say this morning, I'm not asking for a show of hands, that you have $100,000 of assets in your name? 
Meaning, if you were to sell your house, if you were to sell your cars, and you were to liquidate, and you were to take all your money in retirement or savings and in the bank, how much do you have? And if you have more than 100,000, you're in the 1% of the world today. So I would venture to say that a lot of people in this room are 1%. We're in the 1% of the world. So the other 99% of the world is looking at us. And so this passage is relevant to us. Even though we think of the 1% that's above us, we're 1%. Because here's the reality. At least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. Half the world lives on less than $250 a day. And more than a billion people on the planet today live on less than a dollar a day. So it's a good perspective because we're five days away from the kickoff, aren't we? Isn't it like five days? You know what five days is, right? And now it's even four days. I mean, because stores are going to be open on Thanksgiving. They're already just forget Thanksgiving. I mean, get on with the Christmas shopping. And the Christmas splurge is going to be upon us. And Black Friday, and nobody thinks they're greedy, but there's going to be a lot of splurging that's going to go on. And so we have to remind ourselves, wait a minute, we are the wealthiest 1%. And I don't know how these income percentages break down, but as Americans as a whole, we're over a trillion dollars in debt as Americans, okay? That's the GDP of all but 15 countries on the planet. And we have a trillion dollars of debt just, and the average credit card debt in America, the average household credit card debt, I thought it was high. I thought it's like $8,000. I was wrong, it's double. It's $16,000 is the average credit card debt in a, in a household in America. So here we have these one percenters, and yet these one percenters are average $16,000 in credit card debt. And that credit card debt, average interest is 18%, which means Americans are paying a little over $1,200 a year in debt. And for everything else in life, there's MasterCard. And not to mention that school loan debts have skyrocketed 186% in the last decade. So the average school loan debt is close to $50,000. So as a nation, we're overspending. But how about the people of God? Well, here are the stats. The 80% of Americans give 2% or less of their income to charity. Okay, so that's less than they gave during the Great Depression, which was 3.3%, and we're not, we're in a thriving era, yet we're giving less than the Great Depression. Only 5% of the U.S. ties, but of the 5%, apparently, these are the stats, you can look online, but 10 to 25% of a normal congregation ties. So that means 75 to 90% don't. So that's the bad news. The surprising stat is that those who tithe on their income, 77% of those that tithe give more than 10%. 54% give between 11 and 15%. 14% give 16 to 20%. And 9% give 20% or more. But last but not least, surprising stat is that 63% of those who tithe started tithing when they were children or teenagers. So it's really important as parents to start helping our children learn about margins and learn about giving because what happens is once you get buried in debt, it's really hard when there's not any margin to do that. 
And so in this particular parable, we have, a, uh, we have this wasteful manager who was like the wasteful son in the parable before, who just took the father's wealth and scattered it and used it for what he wanted it, used it for his own purposes. And this manager has not been a, a Joseph manager, one who prospered and made others look good around him. He's making the rich man look bad and not using his wealth wisely. And so verses one and two, I'm gonna use C's for our outline. So verse one and two, we have the crisis. Here we have a, a manager that has, uh, he has been wasting his possessions, we're told, and as a result, he's going to be dismissed, or as the Donald used to say on Apprentice, you're fired. And so this parable shows us why, and why today, if you get dismissed, they, they take you to the door right away, and they send you out packing, and they don't want you to, to you know, have another few hours in the office or a few weeks. They just take you straight to the door. Here's why. Because guys like this are given just a little extra time, and they turn around, and they cook the books. And uh, that's what we're going to see here. So, so verse 3, we have the concern. We have this, this manager who's now worried terribly about his future, and his laziness and pride are on the line. He says, I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. I got a real dilemma. I don't want a blue-collar job. I, and he, it's probably an excuse for laziness, although it might be legit. And the other is he's ashamed to, to beg. So this leads the manager to some really quick thinking. In verse, verses 4 to 7, we see the craftiness or the shrewdness. And so he devises a plan by, to use the master's money to make friends for himself so that when he is released and loses his job, he's got some options for housing as he's building some social capital by using monies to his money, the master's money, to win friends and influence people. And so he quickly reduces their debts and brings incredible relief to a few of the debtors to his master. So just to play this out for you, 100 measures of oil would have equaled 868 gallons or roughly 4,000 liters. One olive tree back in that day apparently would bear 25 liters of olive oil. And so this guy owed 4,000 liters. So that's 160 trees worth of olive oil. To cut the debt in half would have been a massive relief to the debtor. And he does that. Hey, quick, change your bill. This is a lot more than the interest, okay? And then the 100 measures of wheat, which would have been equal to 100 acres of wheat yielded. And so this is a 20% discount. And apparently, uh, he just cut off about 500 denarii a year or half a year wages. Uh, pretty, once again, a significant discount, okay? And so we notice that this steward moved quickly without delay. He knew the end was in sight. And so he did his best with the little time he, he had left and he's commended for it. That's what, you know, when you read the parables, Jesus often, he gives you a punchline that you're just not expecting. I mean, we've, we just grow accustomed because we read these parables all the time and we're just used to the, to the punchline, like, you know, along comes this uh, Samaritan to help out, you know, we call him the Good Samaritan. That would have been like absolute jaw-dropping shocker to the original hearing audience. So here we have this kicker. I mean, you're expecting this guy is going to be thrown out into outer darkness. He's going to be embarrassed in front of everybody. But no, we are told that the master 
or the rich man actually commended him. And as Kenneth Bailey, who always has an interesting look on the parables, Kenneth Bailey says, you have to see the manager's actions as a way of putting his master in a corner. The relieved debtors are so full of gratitude and praise for the master because the manager has shown such unexpected generosity and the master's gotta make a decision. Either I separate myself from the manager or I go along with it and say, yeah, he really is a great guy and commend him for his shrewdness. <laughs> and the master had to make a decision. Am I gonna stand with my manager who just made me look great in front of these guys even though he's taken my wealth and wasted it or do I separate myself and everybody loves him now? So he says he commends him for his shrewdness. Interesting take on what happened here. Now keep in mind, the master is not praising the manager for his dishonesty. And neither is Jesus praising anybody for dishonesty. He's praising him for his shrewdness, for his, wise, his, his uncanny ability to turn these lemons into lemonade. And Jesus wants us to learn from the world not how to be dishonest, but to be wise with the master's resources that he's entrusted to us for a little short time to prepare for our eternal destination. So by reducing the amounts, the manager was looking to his future by making friends, and so should we. We should use our possessions, Jesus is saying, to make friends for ourselves. Use earthly possessions for spiritual investments. Okay, so in verses nine to 12, Jesus gives us many cautions in these verses. So Jesus says in verses nine to 12, make friends for yourselves. It's the only imperative of this passage. Isn't that interesting? There's only one imperative of this passage. It's make friends for yourselves with your money. That sounds like over the top, doesn't it? Use your money, go make friends for yourselves. You're probably thinking, well, what does that mean? Well, it's gonna mean different things for different people. Some of you may have a heart for adoption. Go make a friend for yourself for eternity and, and adopt that child. Maybe it's helping somebody else adopt. I know of a guy that funded himself the Jesus film in another language in Africa. And he took his money, and he was a wealthy individual, but he wanted to see the gospel go forward. And so he used his own money to fund the Jesus film to reach these tribes in Africa. I know of a church that used their money to say, we are gonna pay for the actual translation of the Jesus film to be translated and taken out and reach an unreached people group in, in I forget where, but they spent their money to reach an unreached people group that had never heard about Jesus. That's making friends for yourselves. It's people that wouldn't otherwise be able to thank you, but you used your money to touch other lives that will thank you when, they, when you get to heaven and they're gonna say, man, you come over, I'm making a feast tonight, and you come over to my place. Jesus talks about, you remember the parable where he says, when you have a feast, don't invite the rich. Invite the poor, right? Invite those who can't repay you in this life for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just when they have their big spread in heaven and they invite you over. You see, what Jesus is really talking about is faith. What's more important, 
Do you believe the world to come is more important than this world? Isn't it interesting that twice in this passage, I mean, Jesus says some things here that hurt my head. He says several things here that hurt. Let's just get the, get the things out on the table that hurt. Twice he refers to, first refers to money in this life as unrighteous. And everywhere else in the Bible, money's neutral. Money's just a currency. And what makes it, money's like a car. Cars aren't bad, it's the people that are texting them that drive them that are bad, right? Money in and of itself can be used for good, it can be used for bad, but Jesus twice here refers to it as unrighteous wealth. So that hurts me. I have to think to myself, what does he mean by that? And I'm not really exactly sure. My hunch is that we live in such a crooked world that where you're getting your money and where you're investing money is ultimately, there are crooked things where that money came from and where it's going. And you live in that world. Any of you that invest in the stock market or you go fill up your car with gas or you, you know, ultimately if you say, I'm gonna boycott every system that's giving to Planned Parenthood or, you know, what are you gonna do? I mean, my, my brother works for, ultimately works for Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett gives more money to Planned Parenthood than anybody else on the planet except for possibly Bill Gates. And Planned Parenthood is the number one baby killer in the world. My brother sold me his odyssey because he makes good money from Warren Buffett who pays him for net jets and I drove that car for over 10 years and put 197,000 miles on it and love the car. Because I I'm making the most of wealth that ultimately comes from a source that isn't perfect. That's probably the best way I can explain. You know, ultimately the systems that you work at is your company doing everything that's proper. And most of you would say, man, there's some, there's, every once in a while there's some crooked things that go on. But here you are in this world and you have to use the monies for good as best you can as children of God. Man, I hate to be railing on Warren Buffett, but Warren Buffett said this in the summer of 2006. Warren Buffett gave away $30 billion to charity. It was the greatest donation to charity that had ever been given. And it was for health, nutrition, education. He gave it to the Bill Gates Foundation. And he was quoted as saying, there's more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. So he really believed that he was buying heaven through this gift. Now you could interpret this parable to say, well, make friends for yourselves. You purchase your salvation through money. Is that what Jesus is saying? The answer is no. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is saying. What, what the bigger message of the Bible is, is the only way you, can, you can't redeem yourself by money. And the only way you can be redeemed is by the precious blood of Jesus Christ who redeemed us from an empty way of life, not through silver or gold, not through money. He redeemed us by his blood. He saved us by his life given for us to pay for our sins. So we can't purchase our salvation. However, the difference between pleasing God and appeasing God is like night and day, okay? So if you're trying to appease God with your money, then ultimately God is a debtor to you. Whereas if you're trying to please God with your money, you're just grateful. And the difference is night and day. The one is salvation by works, the other is salvation by grace. The one is saying, I deserve heaven. The other is saying, I don't deserve heaven, but I receive it with gratitude. Thank you for doing it all for me. And I wanna show it by a life change. Now, it's just out of gratitude that we wanna help others because he's changed us. 
So when he says make friends for yourselves, it's interesting, the friends is plural. So I don't think he's talking about make friends with God or I don't think he's saying make friends with angels, although some have in their hospitality have entertained angels unawares. I think he's referring to actual people like he says in Luke 14 when you give the banquet, invite, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, rich neighbors, but invite those who can't repay you. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind and you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. And when the good Samaritan put the, the, the poor guy that had been beat up uh, and you know, he put him on his own donkey and he gave up his, his day trip as a businessman and he went to the inn and he used his own coins to pay the, what was needed to, to get this man help. There's somebody who's helping somebody. It's, I mean, it's very, very tangible. And so we're to do the same with our money. Make friends for yourselves. And so the rich man could have done this with Lazarus. And Ben's going to preach this next Sunday. It's following up right on this passage. He could, the rich man had the, has Lazarus right at his gate every day. And he's feasting sumptuously every day. And this man's just begging for crumbs. And he's not giving him anything. And so what can we do to help other people with our money? How do we use our resources that God has given to us to advance the kingdom of Christ in this world? You see, Wearsby, Warren Wearsby once said, what, you know, the, the law says what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. Lust says what yours is mine, I'll take it. But love says what's mine is yours, I'll share it. And the interesting, another thing that hurts in this passage, okay, so Jesus says that the money uh, is unrighteous money. But then he also, in verse 11, he, ref, he says, he refers to who will entrust to you the true riches Okay, so verse 11, Jesus is actually saying that the currency that we're now using is, is not the true riches. Okay, and then he also says, um, verse 9, he says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so when it fails, they may receive you into the internal dwelling. So one, he's saying, the current currency you have is going to be, is going out of existence, and, and this money is going to fail. So you're like, what does that mean? I mean, I, I, I think we just need to re be reminded there, there will be no greenbacks in heaven. It won't work at all. The U.S. dollars is not the currency of heaven. When you get there and you, hey, here's my, you know, it's nothing. The currency doesn't work. It's like when the euro came about and you still had these old coins from some other country or bills and I had some from, you know, Kim brought back money from Hungary and then, you know, it's like these old bills. Guess what they're worth once the euro came about? It's like, you might as well just, these are great for starting fires. You know, that's about all they're worth. They're worth nothing. That's what U.S. dollars will be someday. They will be worth nothing, and they're not anything in the currency of heaven. And Jesus just says here, it's not the true riches. And then he goes on and says here that basically we don't own anything in this life. He says, if you've been faithful in that which is another's, it's not yours. Who will give you that which is your own? Someday you will actually be an absolute owner. If I understand Jesus correctly, you don't own anything in this life. You're just a steward. But when he says you're heirs in heaven and you're heirs and the meek shall inherit the earth, that, that someday if you've been faithful now and you say, man, if I have a million dollars, I'd be a giver. Well, how about a thousand? How about a hundred? How about a dollar? 
Be faithful in a little, and you're gonna be, and he says, you'll be entrusted with much. And if you're faithful in a little, you're gonna be rewarded. And that which, now you're just, a, you're just a steward. Someday you're gonna be owner. It will be yours. It will be fully yours. That's what Jesus is saying. These aren't the true riches. This is just a test. This is just a, a brief, you know, none of you gets out of here alive. None of us are getting out of here alive. And the true riches are coming. This is just the greenbacks for now that are very temporary, just like that Hungarian money that's gone once the euro came about. This is just a brief poof, as the Bible says. We're just dust. We're just a vapor. And so Jesus is saying, get ready for it. You're going to be called to account just like this manager was. Make friends for yourselves. That's the only imperative, the only command given here is use your money to make friends for yourself who are somebody going to thank you in heaven. Think big picture. I mean, Jesus is the, is the master certified planner. He's the best certified planner that ever was. Gives the best short-term and long-term advice ever. And so he's saying, sit down with me. I've got, let's, let's work on your, your short-term goals and your long-term goals. That's what a good certified planner does, right? And so Jesus is saying, I wanna help you with your long-term investments. Invest in eternity and you will be rewarded. Be faithful a little, you'll be entrusted with, and you'll be owner. And, and if you think bull or bear, bear is coming. Three times in Revelation 18, we are told in a single hour, the whole market's coming down of the world. If you want a little Sunday reading, just go home and read Psalm 49 and Revelation 18. And if you still want to read more, read First Corinthians, read First Timothy six. But read Psalm forty-nine, Revelation eighteen, and three times it says this in Revelation eighteen: They will stand far off in the fear of her torment and say, "Alas, alas! Your great city, your mighty city, Babylon! For in a single hour, your judgment has come. For in a single hour, all the wealth has been laid waste. All the shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors and all whose trades on the sea stood far off and they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour, she's been laid waste. In a single hour, three times. It, it, it was fast, unexpected. And we're told that's that's. That's where this world is going ultimately before the new heavens and new earth come down. And so what Jesus is saying to us is as that is the future, do you work as hard now for your material wealth just as, as we work to feather our nest, so to speak? Do you work hard now at just as you're thinking about your retirement and investing for retirement and, and, and investing for those things are you investing in eternal things with that kind of energy and effort and wisdom and skill and shrewdness and craftiness? And, and we love people that, that are prepared for retirement and they're able to even have an early retirement. And, and what Jesus is getting here is the sons of, the, the sons of this w world are much shrewder than the sons of light. They, they, they're much craftier and better than we are using our resources to help the kingdom along and investing these things and making friends for ourselves. And so I would just remind us in closing of Jesus. What did Jesus do for us? He made friends for himself with his wealth. The Bible says 
we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He had everything in heaven. He laid it aside and came to this earth. And as we sung about see him in Jerusalem, he's nailed to a cross and the dust is receiving his blood. And he lays it all down. And you know what Jesus prayed before he went to the cross? His last prayer request in John 17. Oh, I've got one more prayer request. It's a profound prayer request. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me they may be with me where I am to see my glory. To see my glory. What does Jesus want for you more than anything else as his children? His last prayer request before going to the cross was to see his glory because he knew that his doxa, his glory was gonna be greater than all the kingdoms of this world all put together. He got to see them all when he was, when he was taken up by the, at, at his temptation and he's shown all the worlds and all their doxa, all their glory. And he knew that would never satisfy you and it wouldn't satisfy him. He had to go to the cross so that you could see his glory and realize that where true life is, true life, true riches are in heaven. And that world is breaking in on this world. Matthew Henry was right when he said we have better provisions, better possessions, better employments, and better enjoyments in heaven. And so the idea is to set our minds on things above and let that impact this life now. Spurgeon put it like this. What I spent, I had. What I saved, I lost. What I gave, I have. What I spent, I had. What I saved, I lost. What I gave, I have. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said to Timothy, let them, the church, do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of that which is truly life. This, that's truly life. But the self-indulgent woman, he says, she's dead even while she lives. She's a zombie. So where is real life really found? In material possessions or in using your money for the good of others. And we actually find our joy in that as well. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. That's the Christmas spirit. So let's be reminded of that as Thanksgiving and Good Friday and, and here it comes and I'm giving us a heads up now to let's use our money to help others. Let's pray. Father, may the weight of this passage and these other verses remind us of which world is really important. Give us eyes of faith like Moses of old who gave up wealth and riches and chose to suffer with the people of God and esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches because he was looking to the reward. Lord God, give us eyes of faith to be reminded of what's really important. We know we'll be tempted. And so we ask that you give us wisdom. Help us to be shrewd and wise in light of eternity. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.